pleasure. Good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, broadcasting live from the third level of my underground bunker located in Coronado, California, where the men are strong, the women are good looking, and their parents are convinced their kids are way above average. Welcoming you to a pre-flag day edition of Inside Track. And welcome back, Eb. Hey, thanks, Bruce. It's good to be back from the People's Republic of New York City. Hey, thanks mm. for tuning in this afternoon. We welcome your calls today on the Essential Pest Live Line at 790-2040. And before we get going, let me remind you once again that Inside Track is brought to you by our great supporters. We've got Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Their junk, <clears throat> excuse me, is your treasure. Call Jamie or Craig at 209 209- one five seven six. Also, we've got Eric Rudin at Essential Pest, eight eight six three zero two nine. He shares your dislike of bugs, vermin, and weeds. Uh, we've also got coming up Joy. Uh, there goes my tongue again. Joy and Allie at Corazon Cabinets. They've got great cabinets. I love mine. I know Bruce loves his. High quality cabinets for your home. You'll love at a price you can afford. Call the Corazon Kids at four eight eight two two. Six six. Eb's still recovering from that New York water <clears throat> that, he, <clears throat> that he was drinking. Absolutely. Also supporting Inside Track is my friend, the aforementioned Eb Wilkinson from Wilkinson Wealth Management. Eb creates wealth for loads of veterans, some active service uh, uh, members, and volunteers, uh, as well as gun owners just like you. Call him Monday, 777-1911. All of our sponsors are locally owned, family-run businesses. You can depend upon, Eb and I do, so should you. And our live line is open for your calls at 790-2040 for your comments and questions. We've got another great show lined up for you this afternoon. We've got Joe Ersig, candidate for Oro Valley Council. He joins us right after the first break. And then the host of three shows on KVOI, Swap Shop, Liberty Watch, and American Armed and Free, Charles Heller joins us to close out the show for a long, form, formal talk about red flag laws and much more. So stay tuned. We've got an action-packed show. Uh, flag Day occurs on the 14th. Some fun facts about our flag. When the American Revolution broke out in 1775, the colonists weren't fighting united under a single flag. Instead, most regiments participating in the war for independence against the British fought under their own flags. In June of 1775, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia to create the Continental Army, a unified colonial fighting force, with the hopes that a more organized battle against its colonial oppressors would work out. This led to the creation of what was essentially the first American flag, the Continental Colors. For some, this flag, which was comprised of 13 red and white alternating stripes and a Union Jack in the corner, was too similar to that of the British. So on 14 June 1777, the Second Continental Congress took a break from writing the Articles of Confederation and passed a resolution stating that the flag of the United States be 13 stripes, alternating red and white, and that the Union be 13 stars, white in a blue field representing a new constellation. Over 100 years later, in 1916, President Woodrow Wilson marked the anniversary of that decree by officially establishing June 14th as Flag Day. Long may our flag fly over the greatest country in the world. 
And as Ben Franklin so famously said after exiting the Constitutional Convention, when asked by citizens what sort of a government has been created, he replied, a republic if you can keep it. It's not been easy, including today, keeping our constitutional republic intact. But it is the stars and stripes which help symbolize who we are as people. We also pause to mark another milestone today, celebrating the life of this show's founder, Emil Franzi, <clears throat> pardon me, who left us five years ago. Franzi was a Yankee Doodle patriot born on the 4th of July. Emil Franzi's passing five years ago marked the end of an era. He was a lion in word, deed, and spirit. There are few men like him around anymore. He was my most unforgettable character, dear friend, and a significant member of our family. Emil was not only my friend, he was my mentor, my political Dutch uncle. I did my best to soak up his knowledge of politics and history. I wish sometimes I had listened better. I had hoped we would be able to spend much more time together. He would have been 84 this July 4th. We talked every day, and while there was always something new to discuss, he frequently went back to stories about his political exploits with the late great operative Bob Gowdy and California politics like Johnny Russolo, Dick Rutan, to make his points about how, about how politics should be waged. He was enamored by the guts of Republican members of Congress, Duncan Hunter Sr. and Sam Steiger. He admired the political courage demonstrated by Frank, by Frank Antonori and Al Melvin. He worked hard to elect Steve Kay in 2009, but later regretted it just like the rest of us. While he fought with his political foes, Franzi had a knack of always being able to remain friends with them while they were trying to roast him at the same time. He was a political partner with Maureen Reagan and served as the California State Chair of the Young Republicans, when that was actually still a big deal in the 1960s, he was a real operator. Franzi butted heads with party legends like Morton Blackwell of Virginia and Karl Rove and frequently prevailed. He was a legend in the Young Republicans. Franzi worked with Linda Barber as a consultant to Governor Evan Meekham. I never tired hearing some of the same stories over and over. Originally from New England, later Glendale, California, where his father operated a movie theater, Emil came to Tucson and attended the University of Arizona. He worked as an operative in Illinois and California, but always called Tucson his home. He raised three wonderful daughters. He and his wife, Kathy, also helped raise a number of youngsters as foster parents. His family also included many stray dogs and cats. He was very fond of his cats and, and dogs. Franzi told me they had more sense than most elected officials, and I think he was right about that some days. Emil took me under his wing from the first time we met in, in Guinea's Cafe in 2004. His encouragement and tutoring was essential to whatever political successes I have enjoyed as a Republican activist. Franzi's radio career spanned three decades. Listeners loved the show, and his rants were epic. I could only stand by and listen once when he got on one of his stem winders, I winced more than once as a mouthy caller got out of control and was subject to some yelling and a quick hang up by then producer Harry Alexander. Then there were the friendly and sometimes not so friendly on air debates with his longtime co-host, Tom Danahy, 
I was close enough to action to feel the spit flying out of Franzi's mouth during these tirades, and it made for great radio. He said frequently to friends that the only Republicans who I give a blank about were, and you can fill in the word, were Martha McSally, Ray Carroll, and Bruce Ash, a real compliment for each of us. Emil was fiercely loyal to his political friends and was often feared by those on the other side. He refused to be a precinct committeeman because he wanted to be able to beat up party and elected officials when he needed to, which was frequently. He was in David Nolan's living room when they formed the Libertarian Party. He enjoyed much success, um, That I, and sometimes I remind him, let me start that over again. While he enjoyed much success, I sometimes reminded him that he was the St. Jude of political lost causes. He wasn't in the business, though, just to make a buck. He had to believe in the people he worked for. Franzi was a hard guy to figure out, a tough guy in his radio show, uh, preferred, uh, referred to Japanese and Germans in World War II as nips and krauts. No one could get away with using that language today on the radio in the 21st century. But no one ever challenged him on using those terms. Not me either. He was, however, in his personal life, a very tolerant man and a real softy. He was a conservative who described himself sometimes as paleolithic, but also leaned green because he believed in conservation. He often said conservation was good in Republican politics also. Franzi was a lover of classical music and opera who probably knew more about the music and opera than most professors. He and Tucson Symphony conductor George Hansen were not only musical friends, they were both gun guys, and they loved to shoot them and talk about them often. Franzi loved the West and, and worked for many, many years to preserve our local Western heritage through the Empire Ranch Foundation. In his beloved radio show, he did for about a decade called Voices of the West. The show was very successful, and he was honored by the Western Authors Association, an award that meant a lot to him. He loved and supported the Empire Ranch. He supported Israel and always wore his U.S.-Israel flag pin on his coat lapel, and on rare occasions when he actually wore a sport coat. I have that flag pin today. He always supported the NRA and no-kill uh, animal shelters. He loved his brown liquor and hanging out with pals at Highfalutin. Franzi was unique. He was irascible and always had an opinion, which he backed up with his vast intellect and experience. I was his foxhole buddy, and he will always be my forever friend. Rest easy, Franzi. You are still remembered by many. Man, he was a great, great person. You and I were with him right up until the very end. Right up until the very end. Mr. Producer, let's take our first break. You're listening to Inside Track. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Oro Valley Council candidate Joe Ersig. Jamie Kipper and her father, Gary Kipper, from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates? So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. 
So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing, and then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through. But that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house. We sell literally anything made of metal. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Instead of an activity where every kid gets a trophy, those who graduate from Wright Flight get to fly a plane. But only if they get good grades, are well-behaved, and pass a written test. I'm Robin Stoddard, an ex-fighter pilot. I founded Wright Flight because I knew it could help kids reach new heights in their schools, homes, and communities. Endorsed by educators at every level, nonprofit Wright Flight has changed thousands of lives since 1986. Learn more at rightflight.org. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? (sighs) No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management reminding you that every good and excellent thing stands moment by moment on the razor's edge of danger and must be fought for, including getting out of debt, building your wealth, and protecting your God-given right. We manage money for gun owners. Let us help you retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. Eb and I, as you know, are committed to bringing as many primary candidates to the show as possible between now and our August primary. It's good to welcome and introduce an old friend of both Eb and I, Joe Ursig, who's running for Oro Valley Town Council. Let me tell you a little something about Joe. He's been a Southern Arizona resident since 1981, residing for more than 15 years in Oro Valley. He has since had successful careers in advertising and marketing, association management, and business development. Joe played an important role in the founding of the Grand Canyon State Games, McDonald's Western uh, Wildcat Classic, Pima County Sports Authority, and Southern Era Sports Development Corporation. He has led corporate engagement efforts for the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl, Banner University, Medicine, El Tour de Tucson, and FC Tucson. Joe has raised his family in the town of Oro Valley, where he served as a director on the Oro Valley Parks and Recreation Advisory Board. He is a graduate of the town's university, uh, the town's community academy, and helped foster the Oro Valley Sports Alliance. He's married to Delina and a proud father of four adult children, Sean, Alec, uh, Madison and Morgan. Joe, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Inside Track. Uh, and I ask every political guest, uh, Eb and I do this also, every political ask, uh, guest on their first appearance, what is the stated purpose of government as contained in the Arizona Constitution? Your answer, please. 
And uh, great to be with you, man. Uh, Article 2, Section 2. All political power is inherent in the people, and governments derive their just power from the consent of the governed, and they're established to protect and maintain individual rights. And that's what I'm all about as well. Wow. Ding, 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 ding. All right, Ab, go ahead. Wow. Hey, Joe, that was great. Welcome. Some say Oro Valley has lost its way and needs new leadership. Do you agree? And if you're elected to the Oro Valley Council, what are your top priorities? Yeah, thanks, Ab. And by the way, great to talk to you again. The last time that you and I uh, were able to uh, talk regularly together was back in the days of the Yacht Club of Tucson. Oh, my God, 1989, uh, 1990. <laughs> young Arizonans charting a healthier tomorrow, a kind of a younger co-ed version of the Centurions were, as they were to St. Mary's, we were to St. Joseph's. And it was uh, really a great time to uh, to serve in that capacity. But I yes, I believe that Oral Valley needs fresh leadership, Eb. I think that uh, we need people there that are far more dedicated to fiscal responsibility. Uh, we need people who are in a, who have innovative ideas to grow business and to drive revenues. Um, and uh, we need to have a renewed tradition of having the best law enforcement in Southern Arizona. You know, uh, we have recently, the, the town council recently voted to increase their pay, and we are once again uh, very um, uh, well and correctly, our, our public servants are correctly paid now, and and uh, there's you know, a constant need for law enforcement in communities across the country, but that uh, in order to make those salaries and to recruit the best and brightest, we we really need to make sure that we're doing a great job with our economic development efforts. So that, very frankly, is the number one thing that I'm bringing to the table is my experience and expertise in the area of economic development. Let's talk about the economy as far as Oro Valley goes. Oro Valley is in debt. The golf course debacle created a big messes, and some say the town manager needs to go. Do you agree? You know, uh, the, the, I certainly agree about the debt and the deficit that has been brought upon us by the present council, and we need to turn that around. And again, the only way to do that, uh, well, first of all, it's with wise spending, and we've made some really uh, unwise decisions with respect to how we have have uh, uh, invested our dollars. But we also need to make sure that we're solid in terms of economic development. You know, Eb, you're probably familiar with what's going on at the Oro Valley Marketplace. Uh, that uh, development uh, was uh, purchased, repurchased, and it's it's not become a ghost town, but it's on its way if we don't make some changes. Uh, as we all know, the way that people shop nowadays is uh, on is on uh, by by way of the e- uh, internet or uh, on the phone, and we need to get people to go to the Oral Valley Marketplace, and there needs to be compelling reasons for them to do so. The, the updated plans that the developer has moved forward to town council includes a uh, a community and entertainment zone in the midst of it, um, two hotels, two apartment complexes that are higher-end complexes that would be built to, at some point in time, perhaps be converted to condos. And just there are so many positive changes they want to make to that. Well, the, the present council has voted to postpone the decision on that until the developer changes, uh, makes some changes in terms of a slight lowering of one of the hotels and a slight uh, increase of the setback from one of the uh, 
the intersecting uh, major thoroughfares that run adjacent to the complex. All I'm saying is, that are you we need wait, to make before sure you go on? Are you talking slight yes, lowering height wise? Height wise of one of the height of okay. one of the hotels, yes, but by ten feet. Wow. And and there are so just the from the this is like a three hundred and forty plus million dollar uh, project. Just the, the the construction tax alone would generate for the town around thirteen million dollars, based on its present configuration. So there's every reason for us to do everything we can to get this project off the ground because uh, Dix has left, uh, Best Buy has taken off. Uh, a number of restaurants uh, and there have left. A couple have replaced them. Uh, and some other businesses that are there now, some retail establishments and entertainment, are in trouble. We need to increase uh, the, the, the number of people who live in that uh, immediate area. And that uh, uh, apartment complex will help greatly uh, to make that happen. You're talking about it being a higher-end apartment complex. What does that yeah. mean? Well, the, the, the for example, they were talking initially, and, and I, I'm not sure if the plans are going to change or not, but having parking beneath the facility and having those be produced in such a way that uh, they could be converted to condos. I, I don't think today that condo conversions are anywhere where, where they used to be, but there may become a time where that would become an advantage, um, and they would be built in such a way that they would be very, very um, they would be higher-end apartment complexes, uh, some, somewhat similar to the villas uh, that are just down the street, the San Dorado villas. So w- we need to have uh, this project has to f- somehow take place, um, and the changes need to be made to make sure that that happens. One of the things that was being talked about recently uh, and floated was an Oral Valley property tax. What's your opinion on yeah. the uh, property tax idea? Yeah, uh, good uh, question. Uh, we are uh, a town of, that's been established 47 years ago. We have never had a residential property tax in the history of Oro Valley. We don't need one. We can, we can continue to have great public safety and all the things that our government can do, uh, a great community center. There's so many things that are positive about Oro Valley. In order to keep that going, we need to have solid economic development and, and that's something that I can bring to the table based on my experience over at uh, Green Valley Sarita and the head of the Arizona Small Business Association. You're talking about public safety. A uh, couple of things with that. You've got, uh, you've got uh, people like Danny Sharp, who was in charge of the Oral Valley Police Department. It's now Kara yeah. Riley. Um, what are you going to do to improve that public safety without increasing the property taxes or adding property taxes? Well, we need more officers. Uh, Chief Sharp, when he was here, and he was our police chief for 18 years and universally uh, universally rather loved and respected up here in Oro Valley, he established a formula by which we would have know how many officers to have here, 2.5 officers per 1,000 people. We're a community now of 47,000-plus people, and we need to have uh, – we're right now we're shy of 14 or 15 officers. Now, I know that the town has done a few things recently, like put into place a new uh, website uh, that would be uh, effective in helping us to recruit uh, new officers. Um, We also have increased uh, their pay recently. This is something that Danny has uh, lobbied for for a long, long time. Kara Riley is doing an outstanding job as our current police chief 
but we need to, to take a really hard look and make this an effort in which all hands on deck to sit down and look at what we can do to recruit uh, more great officers to this community because the people that are here now are outstanding. We just need more of them. Uh, hey, it's Bruce again, uh, Joe. Uh, your website is www.erceg4ov.com. That's E-R-C-E-G, uh, not the number four, but F-O-R-O-V. Find out about Joe and support him there if you're so inclined. I want to talk with you in our, in our last couple of minutes together, um, Joe, about what you call strategic annexation. You talk about this on your website to increase revenue opportunities through wise growth require a thorough and exceptional due diligence, talk about strategic annexation and the advantages uh, of it, and also what will that impact be on public services? Well, one thing I also uh, mentioned is the fact that we've got something like 13,000 adult workers who live in Oro Valley, and uh, those people primarily drive to somewhere else as far as their work is concerned. And we need to do what we've done. I think it's, uh, Bruce, I'd have to go back and, and double-check the numbers of annexations we've had in the 47 years that we've been a town. But we've done that to, in order for us to become commercial, commercially viable. And we need to have uh, more area for people to, for, for new employment opportunities. Uh, you may be aware that Leonardo Electronics just uh, came to our, our uh, innovation uh, park and it's going to be great to have them there, but we need more companies like that, but we need more land. We are almost completely uh, tapped out as far as the land uh, upon which to develop, uh, both commercially and residentially. We just need more more land to do what we do best and so that people can uh, enjoy um, better services that Oro Valley can provide and additional amenities like housing and shopping and dining. So. We just uh, we need we need more land with which to do that, and I I would say that the town would need to take a serious look at the land uh, that's north of the town and west of the town, and and in order for us to to adequately grow. Annex Morana. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> they're wonderful Ersig, neighbors. OV no, we're fine with them just where they're at. Joe Ersig, OV Council candidate. That website again: www. Erseg4, that's F-O-R-O-V.com. Best of luck to you, Joe. Uh, talk to you again soon, and maybe we'll talk more about that development north and, and west of uh, Oro Valley. Mr. Producer, let's go to the bottom of the hour break. When we return, KVOI radio longtime personality, Charles Heller, uh, joins us for the rest of today's Flag Day show. Inside Track will return in about 120 seconds. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to tucsonironretail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. 
Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. With science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. Our guest for the balance of the show today is our old friend, fellow 2A activist, Patriot, host of three KVOI shows on Sunday morning, which, oops, I just got corrected. I forgot about that. America's Fabric. Oh. Uh, which all, in one way or another, promote freedom, liberty, and free markets. Charles Heller, as the aforementioned Emil Franzi would have said if he was here today, how the hell are you? Good luck, Bart. Oh, my God. <laughs> All's well. <laughs> Nobody here but us chickens. <laughs> hey, we've, we've got uh, some guy named Brandon busy uh, yelling and screaming and uh, talking about red flag laws. So let's mm -hmm. take a look at red flag laws Well, and, I, and why they will not work in Arizona. Well, they work okay in front of a bull. But other than that... Olay. I mean, yeah, Olay, yeah, right. <laughs> Actually, they have great food. I'm trying to find my... Volume here, and I can't hear myself on that. It's it's keep going down to the left. No, I know where it is. I it's not working. That's okay. I don't need to. I don't need to hear myself. I listen to myself enough as it is. The the whole idea of a red flag law is that it's the Department of Pre Crime. It is trying to figure out, and really what it is is it's an opportunity to go up against your political opponents and try and smear them by uh, by saying they're violent and getting their guns taken away from them. We already have, in effect, red flag right now. It is in the mental health section of the law in Title 36 of Arizona law, and it's in Title 36 parts 520 through five uh, through 526. And what it's what it says is, do you want to? The headphones? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Thank you. It's already in Arizona law. It's ARS 13520 through 13526. And what it is, if someone is, if someone is, uh, there, there we go. It's too loud, though. Thanks. A little lower. Perfect. And lower. It's still too way. Too, too way up. That's right. I'll just move it off my ears. That's good. What it says is, is that if a person is a danger to themselves or others, thank you, Tom, that you can uh, bring them in for psychological evaluation. And if they're determined to be a danger to themselves or others, uh, they can be incarcerated against their will for mental health. Once that happens, they become a prohibited possessor. So the idea of the red flag law, law exists in every state already. It's, it's, it's already there. It's called the Baker Act in a lot of different states. So it's absolutely available, and the people who are claiming we need background check or red flag laws um, together are, are simply lying. So you know, why are they not being called on that? Well, because 
they take the emotion. The instant you call somebody on it, they say, you love your guns more than you love children. And I got to say that anyone who says that is dancing in the blood of the victims, and they're acting despicably when they do. And the simple reason is, reason is, is that the gun people are just as aggrieved by this as anyone. Absolutely. We find it absolutely as at what's going on lately in terms of the violence, absolutely as aberrant as anyone else does. The difference is, is we want to do what works to stop it. And let me tell you about the hypocrisy of that for mm -hmm. one brief Go second. Ahead. I have gone, uh, I've been selected for jury duty several times now, and every time I go up, uh, each one of those times has been a gun-related case of some way, shape, or form, like a robbery at a Circle K. As soon as they find out that I'm a member of the NRA, I'm immediately dismissed. You know, we care about not having kids shot up. We care about making sure that People follow the rules and they don't abuse the firearm laws. And and uh, as uh, a friend of mine said, it's not gun violence; it's criminal misuse of a firearm. Right. And but they don't care about that. No, and there is no truly no such thing as gun violence. There's gang violence. There's criminal violence. But gun violence is to say that the gun is violent, and it's not. There, the gun is inanimate. It, it's the same as the tire iron on the left side of my. Uh, left side of my driver's seat in the car. I mean, I have it in case I need to change a tire, and it might come in handy for certain other uses. But the point of the matter is, though, is that the tire iron is just that, a tire iron, and the gun is just a gun. It is a thing. It, it, it requires human responsible agency or irresponsible agency, as the case may be, to operate it. So when you call it gun violence, what you're doing is you're creating a term that creates an image in someone's mind, and you're doing it for political reasons. The same thing is true of the term assault weapon. Any weapon used in an assault is by definition an assault weapon. If you mean assault rifles, the first one among them was uh, in 1942 in Germany, the uh, the Strimgewehr 42, which was an 8mm Kurs cartridge, and it's there was the pattern that the AK was developed off of. There are assault rifles, and they've been heavily regulated since 1934. So what makes the difference between a rifle and an assault rifle? Select, fire, the ability for it to go full auto. And that is not my definition. That is a Department of Defense uh, definition of what an assault rifle is, and it's on the request for proposals when they ask for a, a new development, which the uh, Army just did. They got rid of the 5.56, and they're going to the uh, uh, 6.8 uh, something or other, 6.8 spec round. It's a, a, a 6.8 by 51, basically very similar in ballistics to the old 308, but a little, but a little lighter. So I actually have a select fire firearm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to pay a tax on that, the yeah. tax stamp, which now makes me a stamp collector. Yeah. Okay. My automatic firearm has never been used in a crime. So let's talk about that. For select fire firearms, how many of those have been used in modern history in crimes? In the last hundred years, the two that we know of. Okay, that were legally obtained. That were legally owned, yeah. Okay, so aside from that, all the other ones would have been illegally obtained. Right, and that's already illegal. 
And by the way, the penalty for having a uh, an unregistered fully automatic weapon is ten years, uh, ten years in jail. So it's not a lightweight thing. It's it's already a very regulated thing. But unless you're in San Francisco, and then they just let you off with no bond. Right. Well, or they or they let you off on your DUI. But the point is that that if in terms of the red flag laws, what gun law is it that a murderer would obey? Or to put it another way, there isn't any such thing as some new law that will change the violence that's been going on lately. What will change it is when you have people who are multiple repeat offenders to incarcerate them, and it's the exact opposite of what we're doing now. Furthermore, when you have known bad actors like the guy, and I'm, I don't say the name of the perpetrator, I say the name of the victims, but for instance, the guy in Tucson that killed Judge Roll and right. Christina Taylor Green and uh, Gabriel Zimmerman and three other victims, that guy was a known entity to the sheriff's department. They had visited him with him 30 times. They should have taken him with the mist unit. They should have taken him into custody for observation. And if he really and truly was a danger to other people, which he obviously was, then he should have been incarcerated for mental health reasons. What baffles me is why it is they want to have a red flag law. If you got someone that's a danger to themselves and the community, now you're going to just take away his guns and leave him loose in the community with a car and a tank full of gas and any other kind of thing he can pick up to do harm to people? What sense does that make? Well, they got rid of putting people away, locking them up back in 80, 81? 78. Okay. Seven. In, in most of it happened during the Carter administration. And I get it. They're trying to be more humane to people. But the point of the matter is, is if they truly are a danger to themselves or others, and let's say more the danger to others, if a person wants to be a danger to themselves, that shouldn't be a government problem unless maybe they're a veteran. But if, if they're a danger to other people, that is a government problem. And it is something that we should address and the problem is we don't. Instead, the people who say that the guns are the issue, those people are the problem because they're looking in the exact <laughs> wrong direction. What it reminds me of is a fella, one day about 2 in the morning, a police officer's cruising slowly down the main street of a town. He sees a guy on his hands and knees. He gets out of the car and he says, can I help you, sir? What's wrong? He says, I lost my wallet. The cop takes, immediately takes out his flashlight and starts helping him look. He goes, where was the last time you remember having it? Where, where did you know you had it? He says, about a block away. And the cop says, why are you looking here? He says, well, the light is better. And this is the exact approach we're taking when people claim that gun control is the answer. There is no gun law you could pass that would change the amount of violence that's happened lately. However, if you enforce the laws we have, like incarcerating multiple repeat offenders and actually charging people, like, for instance, the guy who charged Dave Chappelle on stage with right. a knife, that's a felony. That is aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. It's a, in Arizona, it would be ARS 13-1204. It's a 4.5-year mandatory minimum sentence felony. And they charge the guy with a misdemeanor. That's the problem. Or let's say you're a, a comedian and randomly get slapped by another actor. Yeah, that's simple you know? assault. Right, but nothing happened there. Absolutely no, nothing. And at some point... What that me what the message is that sends is that misbehavior is okay, even misbehavior to the point of a felony. And once it gets beyond a certain point, people feel like it's okay to to take out their anger on school children and use a weapon to do it. 
and that's it's just plain it, it's immoral. So let's talk about uh, uh, firearms uh, being obtained illegally or trying to be obtained illegally. You got to go out and fill out a forty four seventy three when you buy a firearm from right. a gun store. That's the form. That's the now white used to be yellow. That's the white form you fill out with where you answer all the questions that find out if that, that query you as to whether or not you're a prohibited possessor. And if you lie on that form, what happens? That's perjury. It's a five-year felony. Okay. And how many people in recent history have been charged with that? I don't know. A few, a few dozen a year. Well, so we only have a few dozen a year that are denied? Well, no. That, we have that lie about We them? have thousands of denials, but most of them in the NICS system, uh, uh, National Instant Check System. Most of the den- denials are eventually resolved positively. Somewhere, the, the FBI has a statistic somewhere. So somewhere around 90% of them are usually resolved. What happens is it's a matter of a person's identity having been stolen, or they have the identical name as someone who's a known, uh, known bad actor, and because of that similarity, they can't resolve it, so they deny it. Usually what happens is when those people apply to the FBI for a resolution of it, they get what's called a universal personal identification number, otherwise known as a UPIN. And if you read the 4473 form on the back of the page on the left side, about a third of the way down, there's a space where it says UPIN number. And if you have a UPIN number, you write it in there. They look at the notes of how the issue was resolved, and then they go ahead and approve the sale. So... When people like Hunter Biden fill out the form, they lie in the form, the pistol gets thrown away, and yet the left gives them a pass. So where's the garbage can? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if we're going to do a transfer, (laughs) let's do it right. At least have someone who can appreciate the gun. I I don't get into the the political aspect of it and about that. I'm just saying, you know, if you wanted to have a background check, there's a way to do it tomorrow, which does not infringe on anybody's rights. It's a very simple answer. And this could be done, I think, by executive order, but I'm, I'm not 100% certain. I have to look it up. But I tell you, it could be done easily. How? It's real simple. You make the NICS system available to every man instead of only to a federal firearms licensee. Currently, the only people who can use the NICS system, NICS's National Instant Check System in West Virginia, run by the FBI, the only people who can use it are a dealer. Well, if you want to do a background check, just make it so anybody can call the 800 number and ask for an approval, give the person's name, address, and social security number, and say, is this person legal to sell a gun to? So why wouldn't they do that? Because they don't want to. That's not what they want. The purpose of background check is not to keep people, uh, bad people from getting guns. The purpose of background check is to only have it go through a dealer so that everybody's name is on a piece of paper or now electronically on the 4473 form. The reason for background check is to register every gun quietly. Are you saying the 4473 is now electronic? Yeah. In most cases it is. Oh, really? Yeah. In most cases when you go to buy a a firearm the 4473 is electronic. If you go over to SNG Tactical it's electronic. Uh, Turner still uses paper and trying to think of who else and uh, Frontier Guns still uses paper. I don't know what Murphy is doing. So if they're doing it electronically then the government Automatically. Oh, it goes right straight to them. Right. They have the whole form. But if you do it on paper, 
Well, then it resides at the gun dealer until they go out of business, in which case it has to be the last however many years have to be mailed in, have to be secured to the or sent to the uh, ATF, who then, in violation of the Brady hand of the Brady Act, then scans all of them into their database. So, with a concealed carry permit, yeah, you're still filling it out electronically if you go to those dealers. Yeah, you're still filling out the form. The only thing is they don't have to call in for the background check because your CCW permit stands in place of the background check. But the form automatically goes on up to the ATF. Oh yeah, right straight up. It goes to West Virginia and it stays in their computer forever. So dealers keep using paper. You know, um, I I can't speak to, I can't speak to that, but the point of the matter is is that there is no uh, there is no lack of ability. If the if an ATF agent wants to check on the provenance of a firearm, it's real real simple to call up the dealer and ask them. And the dealers must by law comply, and they do. Some comply better than others, but uh, there is no. If a person, if a dealer is found to be selling guns and not filling out the paperwork, they're prosecuted for it. So you don't see a whole lot of it. It's it's pretty rare that you see that kind of thing happen. Let's get political for a second. Why would Ducey be supporting red flag laws? Because he wants to run for Senate. He wants to run against cinema. Okay. And, and there's no other reason. It, it the the guy has been somewhat supportive, but. A lot, but a sore disappointment to the to the uh, right to keep and bear arms community in terms of his his support his uh, support for red flag laws, and he knows better. He knows better than this. We've told him dozens of times. Our people talk to his people. They have to know that the only reason there can possibly be for a red flag law is to register guns, and uh, and the only reason, uh, or excuse me, is to uh, is to steal guns from people. Is to and it, it it's it's it already exists in our law, as I said before, to be able to incarcerate someone if they're a danger. And once they are, they become a prohibited possessor for life. And what this does is, let's say, like for instance, the um, the killer in um, Buffalo had had a mental health evaluation. He'd been taken in, and he was cleared. Okay, So now once he's cleared, what they want is another bite at the apple. If they didn't get your guns one way, they'll get them another. Uh, it's, it's, it's an absolutely disingenuous, disingenuous thing on the people pushing it. And then most of the public doesn't really know the truth about what, uh, about what background check does. And they sure don't know what red flag laws do. Let's I go, keep conflating the two. Let's go back to the mental health and the 4473. Mm -hmm. Right now... The only way that a dealer will know that you've got a mental health issue or have had one or have been mentally adjudicated is if you answer yes on that form. Right. So why the hell can't we bring those records in to the NICS system? HIPAA. So, okay. The, the Health Care uh, uh, Privacy Protection Act prohibits them from putting some of that stuff in the database. It's something we ought to change. I'll give you an example of that. The, uh, the killer in Sugarland, Texas, who had been in the Air Force and had seven, in effect, uh, had been court-martialed and found guilty of seven felonies. None of those were in the, were in the d database. The military does a lousy job of updating the database. So does the healthcare industry. They're prohibited because, and if 
if there if a medical record was transmitted without the permission of the uh, of the owner of the record to the NIC system, they could sue and sue and win the way our current our laws are, are currently made, and that needs to change. And yet, if you get a bad conduct discharge, you're also a prohibited possessor. Right. Yes. Anyone who's discharged from the military under dishonorable conditions is it becomes it has a, an effect of a felony conviction. And I strongly suspect that that's not in the in the system either. I know one guy. I've in 28 years, I've thrown two people out of my CCW class, and one of the guys that I threw out says, "Well, you're just as bad as that as that, as that guy in the Navy that got me tossed out on a on a bad conduct discharge." Wow. So my instinct in throwing him out of the class was was dead on. He was a prohibited possessor anyway. You know, I don't want bad people to get guns. I really don't. And it's not guns everywhere, and it's not guns for everybody. I only want you to have a gun if you're legally entitled to. But there are ways of doing it that don't infringe everybody else's rights. And it is the height of, uh, of idiocy to punish the innocent people... And banning ARs or, or, or insisting on background checks on private transfers and things like that is the epitome of punishing the innocent for the acts of the guilty. A friend of mine said it's kind of like taking away your car because somebody was drunk driving. Yeah, it makes almost that much sense. Okay, let's talk about uh, the failure of government agencies to actively, effectively, uh, or to activate effectively when school shooters uh, take place. Killers. Well... Let's, there's two glaring incidents of it. One of them is Parkland, Florida, and the other one is recently in Uvalde. And what happened was uh, some classic bad uh, mistakes were made. The pol police chief, the Uvalde school's police chief, didn't even bring a radio inside. And because he didn't want to be distracted, it, it keeps him from holding a gun. Well, you know, there are such things as clips to your belt for a radio. This is why patrol officers usually have a remote microphone clipped to their appellate and so that they don't have to pick up a radio and transmit with it. They've got the, they've got the microphone clipped to them. They can transmit in it. They have an earpiece so they can listen to it. And they can still manipulate a firearm in the other hand or even necessarily, if necessary, in the hand with the gun hand... And and still press the transmit button, hopefully not pulling the trigger at the same time. Exactly. But the point is that um, this is incredibly, uh, this, this is substandard performance by those two police departments. One of them was the sheriff's department, and I believe that fellow has, the one, in, um, the, the one in Parkland has been prosecuted for it, the one that held everybody back while the killing was going on. Uh, ever since Columbine, Police are supposed to go into the building, even if it's only one officer, they're supposed to go in and try and neutralize the threat. The other thing we could do, I know we're running short on time, but I want to make sure we get this across. The one thing we could do is we could put in a program called FASTER. FASTER is a faculty and staff training for emergency response. And it teaches staff who are willing to take the training. It's a 30-hour training class, and it teaches them how to neutralize the threat first. But more importantly, afterwards, the majority of people who die from uh, from being shot mm -hmm. in these circumstances do not die of the trauma. Now, that, that was different in Uvalde. Right. But, um, but in most of the cases, like at Columbine, they don't die of the gunshot trauma. They die of the uh, Bleeding exsanguination. Out. Bleeding out. And so if you can stop the bleed and you can get them to the emergency room with a pulse, they have about a 90% chance of surviving. And so what 
The FASTER program does is it teaches people uh, gunshot trauma first aid and also gives them tourniquets, chest seal patches, and clotting powder to stop the bleed, and then they carry or drag the person, the injured person, to the ambulance and then get them to the ER. What's the FASTER program cost? Well, it's about $2,000 a student, but in Arizona, the Arizona Citizens Defense League Foundation will put the training on at no cost to anyone who volunteers to take it. And we've already had one class. We had 13 students in it. And uh, if they can pay for it, great. If they can't, uh, we'll, fund it for, we'll fund it for them. It does not have to cost the state or the school a, a, a penny. And we don't make anything on it. We're, we're a nonprofit. So we've got two minutes and 10 seconds left. Uh, let's talk about the comparison of European results of school shooting events versus the USA over the past 20 years. Well, there have been several. Uh, there's one, there was one in Dunblane, Scotland, um, where I think 16 people were killed, and I think the, the fellow used a 22 rifle, and they banned, basically they banned semi-automatic rifles after that. And um, it, it was not a terribly violent country, to begin with, they don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of, a, a, a tremendous amount of violence done with guns anyway. They do have a tremendous assault problem, and their violent crime rate is not much different than the United States, especially in England. The city of London is, is, is worse than the city of New York as far as crime statistics, except with guns. But there are, there are, they still have a violence problem in many other European places. They don't have as many mass casualty shootings with firearms. Charles, uh, we're at that time where we're always fighting with a clock, and we're at the end of the show. Thanks for joining us today. Mm -hmm. Who are you guys going to be tomorrow for America Armed and Free? That's a long time from now, Eb. Um, at uh, 12 p.m., I have, uh, yeah, at 11 p.m., there's a fellow by the name of uh, Ethan Peck, who's the guy who doesn't play Spock, called Ethan Peck. <laughs> Thank God. And the other one is uh, Beth Brelia, and uh, she is about, she's talking about election integrity and Peck, you know, and I look at my I notes. Gotta, I got to cut you off right there. Good. How do we get a hold of the AZCDO website? A-Z-C-D-L dot O-R-G. Bruce. Insiders, on behalf of my broadcast partner, Ab Wilkinson, we hope you enjoy the show today with Joe Ersig and our friend Charles Heller, who has four shows on KVOI. Our show is podcasted both on the KVOI uh, website as well as on Apple Podcasts, close to 130 Inside Track episodes are shown at Apple Podcasts. Until next week, when we have another great show planned for Inside Track, this is Bruce Ash and Ab Wilkinson. Thanks for listening today and see you again in 167 hours. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. What other kind of customers do you have? So our biggest customers are actually like ranchers and people from outside of the Tucson area. They're buying a lot of square tubing. They're buying a lot of stuff for their ranch to close off fences. We'll sell anything from 10 feet to 10,000 feet to somebody that comes in because we have new steel and surplus steel from steel mills. The reason we're able to get such good pricing on some of this stuff is, A, we sell scrap to the mill. So uh, we have a relationship there, and then we can buy material, what they're making, bringing it back. And so we save on freight, and we have relationships for years with them. So I think that's really our niche market. We'll sell whatever you need. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. 
Are you letting rising inflation interfere with your ammo budget? Don't do that. Let us show you how to buy the same goods and services 20 years from now as you can today. We manage money for gun owners and we can guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com.